So please let yourself come back in and get settled in a way, sit at ease. And let yourself listen, not so much to remember what's said. Um, No quiz at the end. But more to listen in a way um, that if there's something that resonates as true, that's a reminder of what you know in a deep way, um, let that nourish you and let the rest go by. So, as you will understand, I want to start the evening by reading a list of names. These include Amanda Alvier, Martin Torres, Luis Daniel Wilson, Daryl Roman Burt II, Deirdre Drayton, Alejandro Barrios Martinez, Anthony Luis Lorendilosa, John Carlos Mendez, Kimberly Morris, Stanley Almodovar, Luis Omar Capo, Juan Ramon Gutierrez, Eric Ivan, Peter O. Gonzalez, Luis Vialma, average age 23, 24. So there are 53 candles here for those whose lives were taken. And then a little story, a letter in their honor. Some of you will have heard this in the past. Am I gorgeous? My child asks, drawing the word out like pulled taffy. Gorgeous? Yes, I say you are. The pink and teal dress is probably made of some highly flammable material, some chemist's approximation of satin. Pudgy fingers decorated with pink polish trace the sequins on the bodice. I love this. A giant pair of bubblegum pink wings flap slowly. Little feet dance in sparkly red slippers. I'm just like a real princess. Yes, I say you are. Curly hair, joyful smile, flawless skin. This child is the epitome of beauty. This child, my son. He's four years old and prefers to wear dresses. Maybe it's a phase, maybe not. Even as I wonder how I produce such an angelic-looking creature, I wish he would put on some pants and go back to playing with toy tractors, not because it matters to me, it doesn't, but because I'm already hearing in my head the name-calling he'll face in kindergarten. Many adults already seem a bit disturbed by the dresses, Strangers utter awkward apologies when they realize he's not female. This culture wants little boys to dream only of baseball, trucks, and trains. This culture has no room for little boys who want to be gorgeous. 
He picks up a parasol a neighbor gave him and opens it jauntily over his shoulder. Am I beautiful, he asks. And I sweep him into my arms and plant a kiss on his cheek. Always, I say. Always. And there's something that is full of tears and holy about being torn open, about remembering those who are young, who are killed. So many ways. The Lakota Sioux say that those who weep and grieve their tears bring them closer to the gods. And so we start tonight with a, a vigil. You sat with these candles and with your own breath and your own humanity. And we remember and we hold them. And wherever they are, may they find peace, may they rest in an ocean of love. And may those who love them find peace. So difficult. And so in building this new community center, um, we knew it would be used for all kinds of things. Didn't expect the first Monday night I would teach here would be in part a vigil. But it is, because we're human beings. And there's birth, and there's death, and there's joy and sorrow. In our previous community hall, many of you have been there, the trailers that were all hooked together 20 years ago that were falling apart and the county wouldn't let us use anymore, um, also inhabited by many other four-footed creatures. Um, We calculated that there had been 2.6 million meditation hours in that building. So it had a very cool vibe, even though it was kind of funky. Um, and I came into this hall last Saturday to teach a first day long, one of the first events in this beautiful space. And I thought, okay, I'm supposed to say something really special. Um, but actually, I was a little disoriented and uncertain. What's special to say? I don't know. You know, what special thing? And so I welcome people and talk some about the core principles of Buddhist teachings of transformation of the heart and awakening a little bit. And then we sat together. And the minute we got quiet and sat, like tonight, I thought, oh, that's what this is for. And I felt wonderful. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. It was, ah, thank you. for what we've created, and it's really collectively from many, many people in our community, is a place of peace and a place of stillness amidst the tragedy of Orlando, amidst the weekly political tornadoes, depending which direction you turn, amidst the mystery of birth and death and the warrior playoff games. You know, And the Buddhist texts begin, O nobly born, O you who are the sons and daughters of the awakened ones, remember who you really are. 
return to loving awareness, return to the spirit of awareness that is free no matter the circumstances. Learn to quiet your mind. Learn to open your heart. Let the heart be still amidst all the turnings of the world. St. John of the Cross says, disquietude is always vanity. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's sort of that old Victorian language, right? But there's something in it to reflect on. Disquietude is always vanity. Or I don't know. You're upset, it's an ego trip somehow. You're caught in stuff. I'm not sure how you would translate it in modern you know, jargon. But there's something as we sit together and quiet ourselves amidst healing and tears, our own healing, not just the healing of the rents and the fabric of the world. But almost everyone who sits quietly has something that needs to be healed in their bodies, in their history, in their psyche, in their hearts, and if none of the above, in their families. (laughs) We can be sure of that. And tears, they're called the tears of the way. They're the tears that come because you're paying attention. And if we don't have a nation that can weep, then we're really in trouble. If we don't have politicians who can go on the television and say, at the same time we're going to start a war or send our military or do something like that, if they're not weeping when they say it, they're not really paying attention. So you sit among the tears and the healing and the beauty and the sacredness, all of this. And as you quiet yourself, the laws of human life become obvious to us. They're very central to the Buddhist teachings that as long as greed and hatred and ignorance operate, in us and in others, the result will be suffering. As long as dishonesty operates and lack of standing up for what's true and speaking what's true, we'll continue to suffer. The people you have to lie to own you. The things you have to lie about own you. When your children see you owned, then they are not your children anymore. They are the children of what owns you. If money owns you, they're the children of money. If your need for pretense and illusion owns you, they're the children of pretense and illusion. If your fear of loneliness owns you, they're the children of loneliness. If your fear of truth owns you, they're children of the fear of truth. This is Michael Ventura we pass these on to one another and yet that's not the only way to live and we also know that as deeply as we know our own name. So we sit quiet and we see the contractions and the fear and the confusion in the heart but we also see another possibility that it's possible even in this uncertain world to make the heart a place of peace to bring our mind to a greater steadiness, to practice forgiveness and compassion in our lives and with one another. And 
it doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. It will be okay, absolutely, it is okay. It just depends on your reference point for it. And it won't be okay, and that's okay. As Helen Keller says, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do children as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And so we sit in our vulnerability and in not knowing and in the mystery of our life um, and in the times that are really beautiful. And I'm about to get married in 10 days. My, my fiancé, Trudy Goodman, with whom I've been now, together for the last four or five years. Um, she's just my age. We're both about 71. Um, we've known each other for 40 years. We have a great time together. Um, and we look at each other. We're going to go to Hawaii in about 10 days, and Ramdas is going to do a little private ceremony and sprinkle some fairy dust, and we'll be married. <laughs> as long, and that is as long as neither of us changes our mind and gets talked out of it. Um, But what's true is that we look at each other and say, here we are, 71. We love each other. We have a beautiful life in many ways. And dot, dot, dot. And dot, dot, dot. Things can change in a moment. Our lives can change, says the Buddha, as quickly as the swish of a horse's tail. Our lives, the people we love, and they will. Our lives and their lives will change. So how do we steady our heart in the midst of this? And it turns out that it's possible to do so. The first step is simply to stop, to listen deeply, to remember what matters. And I'm going to read again a piece that I read in this last Monday night that I did, or on the day long, just because I'm enamored of it right now and it reflects something about stillness that I love. Again, a letter. Years ago, I started a rigorous six-year academic program in Boston, this man writes, that required me to work all day during the day, take my classes at night, and do homework on the weekends. On my first summer off, I wanted to get far away from these studies and work with my hands and be close to the earth. So I went to live with an Amish family in Pennsylvania. The experience renewed me, and I decided to do it again next summer. That year, a good friend had died, and then I drove from Boston to Pennsylvania on a holiday weekend crowded, and what was normally a six-hour trip took more than ten hours. By the time I arrived, just before dusk, I was tearful, anxious, and exhausted. My Amish hosts had delayed their dinner for me. During the meal, I tried to act natural, but felt full of nerves. My Amish host could tell clearly something was amiss, because at the end of dinner, he said, Come with me. I followed him to their backyard, which bordered an alfalfa field. Although his faith discouraged smoking, the farmer lit a cigarette. Three of his children gambled about, while two others clung to him. The farmer stood without saying a word, looking out over the alfalfa. I did the same. 
The dark green field was becoming harder to see in the fading light. The sky was peach at the horizon and deep blue higher up. Stars had begun to appear. And then out of the alfalfa rose fireflies. At first a few, but soon there were hundreds. Their pinpricks of light mingled with the stars, heaven and earth meeting in this humble man's backyard. I felt my tears and anxiety leave me. The farmer turned and said, that's for you. And here we are sitting with these golden hills in the last bit of light. And it's for you. It's for all of us. Now when we still ourselves, when we sit quietly, at ease or at peace, quiet the mind, it doesn't mean that we can't act. As it says in the Tao Te Ching, Patient with both friends and enemies, you accord with the way things are. Compassionate in action and thought, you reconcile with all beings. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? And so in some way meditation is... uh, healing and attending of ourselves and a return to a sense of presence. And in some way it's also like the in-breath that comes before we breathe out. It is the stillness between the waves of the sea, as the poet says. And then we rise up, but somehow with a quieter mind and a clearer vision, And more than anything, a listening or a connection to what matters in our own heart. We can respond to the world rather than react. We can tend our world from a place of tenderness and wisdom rather than the body of fear. Here's a text from the Buddha that I also put online for people in a response to Orlando as part of it. 2,500, 600 years of repetition of these words in the temples. Others will be cruel. We shall not be cruel. Thus we should direct the heart. Others will kill. We shall not kill living beings. Thus we should direct the heart. Others will speak falsehoods. We shall speak the truth. Thus we should direct the heart. Others will be hateful. We shall be compassionate. Thus we should direct the heart. Others will be fraudulent. We shall be honest. Thus we should direct the heart. Others will lack wisdom. We shall cultivate wisdom. Thus we shall direct the heart. And what it says in this world with its 
homophobia and racism and environmental crisis and the kind of troubles of humanity, continuing warfare that are so great, there is a deeper truth. Hatred never ceases by hatred, it goes on, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. And we hear those words and they ring in the heart as something that we know, that we've known for our whole life. I'm so pleased because Monday a few weeks ago and again a couple months ago out of concern for all those images of the Syrian, Syrian refugees of women and children you know, on the boats arriving in the shores of Lesbos um, and our kind of fearful political climate. I asked... How many people on this Monday night, there were three or hundred or more people, would be open to taking Syrian refugees, a woman or children, into their home for a year to help them get settled here? And a third of the hands went up. And I took pictures of it. And I sent it to John Kerry and Nancy Pelosi and President Obama and... uh, you know, Diane Feinstein and a bunch of other, the Paul Ryan just to, you know, <laughs> float his boat. <clears throat> I haven't yet sent it to Donald Trump coming. Huh? Um, and it said, I wrote a few things, but mostly I said, please know that many Americans want to offer their hearts and homes to refugees. Do not let a climate of fear speak for the goodness of the people of this country. And that's really what we also come together, whether it's in vigil or whether it's in support of one another, to remember what's possible for us as human beings. And now, when things are difficult, is the precise and exact place to do our meditation practices of compassion, loving kindness, steadiness of heart, awareness. I remember after 9-11, I was getting gas at one of my favorite local gas stations where I know these folks, and they were freaked out because one of the owners was was Persian, was from Iran, the other was from Sicily, and people were driving through the gas station and shouting, you know, racist, anti-Arab, anti-Middle Eastern things, even though they didn't happen to be Middle Easterners. But they looked like them to somebody, some kind of crazy parody of what they were, people were frightened of. And I went in my attic, and I found <clears throat> the one big American flag that I've owned for many years, which had been on my father's coffin, because he was a vet, all, you know folded in that triangle that they do. And I unfolded it and I brought it down and I said, hang this in your station, which they did. People stopped driving through and shouting things at them. I didn't know why I had kept that flag exactly, but I was really happy to have it. So this is the time for us, as much as any time, to quiet ourselves first and then to stand up for for our values, to stand up for what really matters. Gandhi says, 
I believe in the unity of all things, and therefore I believe that if one person gains, the whole world gains. And that if one person falls, the whole world falls to that extent. He said, I believe in the power of each person to affect this world. So don't think that how you live and how you tend your heart doesn't matter. It matters a lot. I have this handwritten letter that came to me some years ago as part of a whole series of prison projects that I've been connected with, San Quentin and elsewhere. And it says, um, Today I started my 28th year in here. I laughed very hard when I read that you wrote, I might as well be a monk. One of the nicknames they call me is the Monk of Trenton. I wasn't always this way. For the first 10 years, I was mean and dangerous. In 1985, I was in ad seg, which means I was in solitary, for stabbing a man, and my mentor appeared in the form of a hitman for, for the Irish mob, who was also a yogi. You know, you want your hitmen to have some yogic powers, right? <laughs> he gave me a copy of the Anapana Sutra, which is the mindfulness of breathing text of the Buddha, and convinced me that I could not live my life out of anger and rage. He put me on a hatha yoga routine in place of my martial arts and had me do pranayama and sitting meditation. My journal records, When I was young, I wanted to be accepted. After I was accepted, I wanted power. After I had power, I realized that power without wisdom leads to sorrow. After acquiring a small amount of wisdom, I no longer desired to be accepted. I desired solitude. All life is change from within. And then I had a dream, my journal records. I had a dream of violence so bad I woke up. Upon remembering the dream, I asked, Is this me? Where did this violence come from? I have the right page here. I'm creating my own suffering. That night I closed the page of that journal with the words, So ends this part of my life. Except for the next two years, I didn't come out of my cell, except to mop mop the whole block and all the tears once a day. I gave away all my property except my law and my yoga books. I gave myself to pranayama, yoga, and meditation. I followed the breath for a long time and practiced mindfulness. Nothing seemed to be happening. And then I realized that the objects of my mindfulness began to have texture. By this I mean depth. This texture is deceptive because it arises from memory or imagination at first. And soon the texture reveals clarity. This is a movement to present awareness without distorting effects of memory, to a present awareness or imagination. I don't know if you understand if this is what's supposed to happen, but it's what happened with me. It was during this period that people started calling me the monk of Trenton. And for the last 15 years, he's been a mentor to uh, lots of young men in his prison in New Jersey. So, you know, no matter how bad off you are, (laughs) 
Don't think that you can't make a difference. I think of what happened in Orlando. And terrorism is a lack of imagination. And war is a lack of imagination. As if violence is the answer to solve our global problems or our problems with one another. I mean, we know it, I say it often. If you work in preschool or kindergarten, you know... You say, use your words, right? Don't hit that kid with a block, right? Don't we think maybe some of our world leaders could try the use your words thing, that it might work somehow? But there's cycles of trauma. There's acts of depression and desperation and mental illness. And there's also a kind of despair that people have in areas of depression or that they identify or they feel like there's nothing really noble to do with their life. And we all have some calling to do something beautiful. The greatest peace army that ever existed on earth was in the 1930s in what was then known as the northwest frontier of India but actually it was what's now modernly called Afghanistan. And it was organized by Khan Abdul Ghaffar Khan. And over 100,000 men, all devout warriors, many from, and all devout Muslims, many from warrior families, vowed to resist British rule without weapons in their hands or violence in their heart. And they kept their vows despite many being killed many imprisoned in great provocation. And Khan, Abdul Ghaffar Khan, was a, was a buddy, he was this great, big, tall Afghani leader who became a really close partner of Gandhi in making peace. And he said, we have, we have, the, we have all the warriors in our culture. And Gandhi said, good, let's use them. But let's use them with a, in a different way and with a different imagination. For us, too, we have to set our hearts on what really matters in this life. It's so short, unless you're young and then it seems forever, but, you know, you'll see. <clears throat> and actually, I'm hopeful, even though there's a lot of terrible things in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. There's also every day hundreds of millions of acts of goodness. Many, many, many in families and communities and people caring for one another in extraordinary ways. And you know, and the, the bad stuff hits the news, right? When I was visiting and doing a bit of teaching in Israel and Palestine for peace groups in different places, the thing that was most striking was how many wonderful acts of goodness and groups there were the, that I met with, the bereaved mothers and the former combatants for peace and the teenage sulkita of kids who were Palestinian teenagers and Israeli teenagers meeting together 
you know, and all kinds of groups doing stuff that never makes the news. One, you know, bombing or rock throwing or all the acts of violence and the newspapers are filled. But the hundreds of groups of people with good hearts. I'm also hopeful, just a few days ago we had a transmission ceremony or a ceremony of empowerment for 26 of the new teachers trained by Spirit Rock and our sister centers, Insight Meditation Society, Insight LA, New York Insight, and so forth, the end of a four-year program. And many of them had been practicing for 10, 20, 30 years, beautiful, wise, younger generation, lots of them also. And we put up all these silk banners. You can kind of see them at the end of the road. Um, and talked about to them about carrying the banner of the Dharma, the banner of truth and compassion into the world. And in the ritual, each one came up one at a time and lit a candle like these, but they weren't candles of vigil and mourning. They lit the candle from the Buddha or from Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion and wisdom, and held the candle in their hand and then recited whatever their vow was as they became a teacher. And their vows were beautiful, you know. I vow most all, most of all to do my own practice, to keep my virtue, my kindness, my heart tended and pure so that whoever I encounter and whatever I do, it comes from the deepest place of understanding I can. Many of them included that. And their vow, I was really relieved because you can get kind of intoxicated. Okay, now I'm a teacher. Yeah, right. Try that at home with your spouse. See how that works with your teenage kid, you know. So that was part of it. And then part of it was this kind of refreshment where people would say, I will do this with a beginner's mind. I'll remember the freedom that I found can be found by everyone. In Zen they write, how refreshing, the whinny of a pack horse unloaded of everything. And as a poetic image, it's an image of meditation really, of putting down the worries and the burdens, not that we don't have to tend to them, but finding a spaciousness and an openness that's bigger than the small sense of self. And some held their candles and said, I will carry patience and generosity through this world. And others said, I will teach that the mind is the source of difficulty and also the place of understanding, that the mind and the heart can be trained, that the heart can be awakened. And to have one after another stand up there, their families came. It was a little graduation thing. They didn't have the little mortar boards, but they had other beautiful garments and things. It was very special. And as they spoke their words, I will teach that the mind can be trained, the heart can be awakened. I remembered these words of the Buddha. Who is your enemy? Mind is your enemy. No one can harm you more than your own mind untrained. Who is your friend? 
mind is your friend. No one can benefit you and help you more than your own heart and mind, well-trained, not even the most loving members of your family. And so here we come and practice together. We sit, we walk, we begin to pay attention. And it's actually not that easy. You were sitting there and you looked good. I have to say that, you know. But I know that in there, sleepiness, restlessness, worries, plans, imaginings, distractions, judgments, a few little judgments here of yourself and others. You know how it is. The mind has no pride. And you sit... My favorite YouTube videos, I'm not a cat YouTube video person, by the way. My favorite YouTube videos, if you want to look, are the videos of um, Walter Mischel's, Professor Walter Mischel's experiment with young children and marshmallows that you all know, this famous psychological experiment where you take the little kid bring them in the room, sit them in front of a table and put a little plate in front of them with one marshmallow on it and say very sweetly to this three or four or five year old, four year old, let's say, um, this is a marshmallow for you. If you can wait for a little bit and don't eat it, then when I come back, I'll bring you two marsh- a second marshmallow and you'll have two of them. But if you eat it, you just get one. And then they say bye-bye and close the door and of course the camera is on. And the kids, you watch them and they're like looking really closely at it. And one kid picks it up and smells it, licks it a little bit, puts it back down. One other kid like took, looked around, took a little tiny bite and put it down. Oh, no, 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 you know. They're, <clears throat> they're hysterical to watch. Um, and it's really meditation, you know. It's, it's really what you're doing. You're sitting here and part of the time you want to go screaming out of the room or something like that. But you sit with your desires and your fears and your longing and your love and your hopes for things and your difficulties and the river of thoughts goes by with so many opinions and views. You remember that cartoon in The New Yorker I talked about with the car crossing the Utah desert vast landscape and the roadside sign that says your own tedious thoughts next 200 miles, right? So you see it and the river of thoughts goes by. And the river of feelings and emotions. And I have this list of 500 feelings that I read on retreat sometimes. Starting with the A's. Affectionate. Ambitious. Aggressive. Anguished. Ambivalent. Angry. Amused, amorous, aversive, antagonistic, antsy, apathetic, apoplectic, anxious, appreciative, argumentative, adamant, addled, amazed, blissful, brokenhearted, bonkers, bored, bad, belligerent, brave, bottled up, bouncy, buoyant, calm, cheerful, claustrophobic, compassionate, contracted, concerned, curious, crestfallen, goes on and on and on. And you're sitting there and that's what's going on. You know, the river of thoughts, the play of feelings. And you become the one who knows. You become the mindfulness itself, the loving awareness that sees the 10,000 joys and sorrows that make up your life and all human life.
You take your seat amidst birth and death and sometimes violence and sometimes peace, sometimes what's beautiful and what's painful. Because we have it all. I mean, you reincarnate as a human being. This is it. And I actually do believe the world is getting better and there's a, again, one of my favorite books is The Better Angels of Our Nature, um, which is a whole wonderful recording of the last few centuries of the levels of violence, the levels of oppression for of women or children, the levels of slavery, and even though and the amount of warfare, and even though it's bad, it's actually getting better. Steven Pinker is the author, professor at Harvard. Slowly, slowly. So what are we to do? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian writer and humanist and visionary and sage said, if only it were so simple, if only we simply needed to round up the evil people and get rid of them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart and who among us is willing to get rid of a piece of their own human heart? So instead, we practice and we become the witness to it with loving awareness, with compassion. We become gradually more fearless. And fearless doesn't mean you don't have fear. You will flunk the course periodically, as I do. Um, It doesn't mean that. It means that when fear comes, you can bow to it and say, oh, this is the fearful mind, this is the doubting mind. This is the judging mind. Thank you for your opinion. But you don't have to follow it. And you more and more trust not getting rid of the evil in the world in that way, but trust that there is a deeper place of steadiness and peace and love that you can inhabit in your work, in your family, and in the family of the world. And then you look around and what to do. This is from a dear friend, Naomi Newman. She wrote this at the end of a retreat that she sat up the hill. We now, this week, actually we have about a hundred people on the LGBT retreat. I don't even know if they were, know if they've been told yet what happened. But this is Naomi at the end of a retreat. She said, a few days ago, late in the evening, I was sitting quietly in the back of the meditation hall and it was raining and the room was dark except for candles on the altar and it felt like we were all camped out around a sacred fire. And everyone sat so still and my breath almost stopped and I wondered what it was, the feeling. And then I realized, ah, This is contentment. There was nowhere else on earth I wanted to be, no one else I wanted to be with. I was peaceful and deeply silent and all my struggles had dropped away and I was content. I felt truly blessed. And all of a sudden it felt like the blessings couldn't contain themselves and I began blessing everyone in the room one by one, their backs or the backs of their heads 
And even the ones I couldn't see so well, I would shoot some blessings around a chair or into a leg or a hand until I got everyone in the room. And we sat in a sea of blessings until the bell rang. And I've been smiling since then. And so you sit, and in the quieting of the mind and the opening of the heart, you come into community and connection with yourself and all those around. And then you get up. And as she said, I've been smiling since then. And it doesn't mean, I mean, she was on a long retreat. It might have taken her a while. It's just like you read Nelson Mandela's autobiography and you see this magnificent human being coming out of 27 years of prison with such graciousness and forgiveness and compassion changing the imagination of Africa and the world. But it wasn't so for all 27 years, like the monk of Trenton. He had to work out some, you know what, in there. So it's not that all your sittings are going to be happy and blessed. You take what you get, you know. It's your humanity that you work with. But it's possible for us, as the Buddha said, if it were not possible for you to awaken the heart and mind, I wouldn't teach you to do so. But just because it is possible for you, I offer these practices and trainings. So you quiet yourself. You listen. And then you go back and find your way to express those who held their candles up and said, I vow to practice patience or compassion or to listen deeply. That's my vow. Laurie Anderson, kind of a poem. In the Tibetan map of the world, the world is a circle. And at the center, there's an enormous mountain guarded by four gates. And when they draw a map of the world, they draw the map in sand and it takes months. And then when the map is finished, they say some prayers, erase it, and throw the sand into the nearest river. Last fall, the Dalai Lama came to New York to do a two-week ceremony called the Kala Chakra, which is a prayer to heal the earth. And woven into these prayers were a series of vows that he asked us to take. And before I knew it, I had taken a vow to be kind for the rest of my life. And I walked out of there and I thought, for the rest of my life, what have I done? This is a disaster. And I was really worried. Had I promised too much? Not enough? I was really in a panic. They had come from Tibet for the ceremony and they were walking around Midtown in their new brown shoes. And I went up to one of the monks and said, can you come with me to have a cappuccino right now and talk? And so we went to this little Italian place. He had never had coffee before, so he kept talking faster and faster. And I kept saying, look, I don't know whether I promised too much or too little. Can you help me, please? And he was being really practical. He said, look, don't limit yourself. Don't be so strict. Open it up. He said, the mind is a wild white horse, and when you make a corral for it, Make sure it's not too small. And another thing, when your house burns down, just walk away. Boy, when I read that sentence, and I think of Tibet, 
When your house burns down, just walk away. And another thing, keep your eyes open. And one more thing, find the right road because it's finally time to go home. So I'm grateful for your attention and that we got to sit together as we did tonight and to sit in vigil and to hold all those named and all those unnamed in our hearts. And yes, there's all these 53, but there's the ones in Syria and Chicago. Yes, in Burma and New York and in our own communities. So the world really asks of us um, that we become citizens of this world in the deepest sense, citizens of the world of interdependence with the trees and the oceans and the animals, other animals beside us that share it and the peoples of this world. And it's time for humanity to develop inwardly just as we've developed the great outer gifts of technology to develop the technology of the heart. It's really come to be time. Nobody knows how old humanity is, but we know it's old enough to do better somehow. And as we move through this blessed and beautiful and troubled world, May we each find our own vow to be a beacon of peace, a fearless carrier of respect, and loving kindness for all that we meet, a teller of truth, a voice of justice, a protector of those who are vulnerable or targeted. And may the Wisdom and integrity and compassion that is your true nature. Be your guide, be our guide to how we live with one another. So let's sit for a little bit quietly.
I finished a little earlier than I often do. I thought, oh, I could do questions, but the stillness is so beautiful. Um, But I have one more little story for you before you go, if you wish. What do you think? One more story. We entered the Mayo Clinic for an evaluation of my husband's ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, you know often can happen pretty quickly in the course of a couple of years, paralysis and death. As we did, we heard a pianist playing in the crowded atrium and realized it was the first song we had ever danced to and the song we danced to at our wedding. My husband, Randall, put down his briefcase filled with doctors and test reports and test results and took me in his arms and danced me all over that floor. And when it was over and folks were applauding, we became aware of how many people gathered there were in wheelchairs or walkers. We suddenly realized that in that spontaneous moment of celebration, we had been dancing on behalf of the life and love that lived in each person gathered together in that place. From the moment we looked around the room, lined with wheelchairs and walkers, we found ourselves thinking of the pool of Bethesda. We imagined Jesus asking us, do you want to be healed? And we thought we then heard him say, then pick up your feet and dance. So it's beautiful to sit in this new space with you as it gets dark in the summer evening and um, to share both the vigil and the practice of compassion and hope and loving awareness in midst of it all. So thank you for coming. Really grateful. And if anyone wishes to be a volunteer here, let us know. We love that. Um, You're now part of Spirit Rock by virtue of having come. Um, Walk the land. There are beautiful trails. Come, you know, do some mindful shopping in the bookstore. Come to other classes. Take a retreat. Um, this is now one of your places. Good night and thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.